What's up, everyone? Welcome to my corner of the internet. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments, the leading global payments provider helping sellers keep more of their hard-earned money. Hey, everyone. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of Crossover Commerce. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and welcome to my corner of the internet. I like to say with an echo as everyone is here and listening to this podcast. Again, uh, this is my corner of the internet where I bring the best and brightest Amazon and e-commerce experts in the space, whether it be logistics, uh, product listing, marketing, you name it. We're going to be talking about it here on this podcast. So if you're a first time listener or watcher, I appreciate you tuning in and stopping by this podcast. Again, this episode, again, as always, Crossover Commerce is presented by Ping Pong Payments. Ping Pong Payments helps e-commerce and Amazon sellers grow internationally, whether it be applying to your uh, to a different uh, marketplace, like a, a different marketplace, such as maybe you want to grow into Canada this year, or you want to expand in the UK. If you want to go into Germany, um, selling on Amazon or other marketplaces, how are you going to receive all those different international currencies? Well, there's an actually a great way to do so. It's actually cost-effective and it puts more money back into your pocket. That's with ping pong payments. Also paying out your supplier and manufacturer, super important to do instead of paying through the old ways of uh, bank transfers or other technologies that are outdated and cost a ton. Go ahead and use ping pong to cost-effectively uh, change your time, cut down on time, money, and effort when it comes to paying out your suppliers, manufacturers, VAs as well. So check out Ping Pong Payments. Go ahead and click and sign up for a free account today. It's in the comments section, or if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast location, uh, I'm going to say location again because that was weird. Location, you can click it and check it out in the show notes below as well. That being said, uh, this is episode 158, as alluded to earlier in our introduction. Um, we, I'm lucky enough to have lots of people in the e-commerce space talk about uh, the pros and cons of lots of different services in this space. Lots of the hot topic is going on, and we even saw some news earlier this week, I can allude to, um, that lots of different people in the space of aggregators are going to be, uh, we call them aggregators, but when it comes to um, selling a brand in the space, that is the name that has been given to them. There's lots of different companies that are popping up. They want to operate the business. They want to be effective in the business. They want to take it to the next level. That being said, there's lots of different challenges that come with it, um, but we want to really uh, highlight on this fact that there is lots of different ways to go about it, whether it be a broker, you can sell directly, you can actually effectively um, work with different kinds of companies to find out what is the value of your business. So that being said, we're gonna talk about with friend of the show, Ben Leonard of Ecom Brokers, breaking down how to make your business more valuable and sellable, right? One needs to be value in order to buy, uh, make it sellable. So we're gonna talk and break down in the capacity of what that means to Amazon sellers, any e-commerce sellers as well as a brand, you should definitely take notes as well. So welcome again back to the show, friend of podcast, Ben Leonard of Ecom Brokers. Ben, welcome. And let me go up there. Look at this, producing all in one. Welcome to back to Crossover Commerce. What's going on, man? Hey, man. Good to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I know it's late over there um, in UK where you're uh, in that area of the world. But so thanks for staying up late your time uh, to listen and talk to all of our listeners who are really curious about the topic of, again, how do I make my brand more valuable and seller sellable? But 
before we get into the nitty gritty and kind of opening up the lid on everything, uh, for people who didn't catch our first episode with each other, give us a quick uh, brief history, your background. Uh, you were a seller. Now you're helping people kind of navigate the waters, if you will, in the space and help them become profitable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks for the kind intro. Um, yes. Uh, I got into e-commerce in early 2016, late 2015, perhaps. Um, my background before that was science. I'm an ecologist by trade, uh, trained uh, marine ecologist. I got quite sick and had to take some time off work and take a whole bunch of drugs, which meant I couldn't do my fitness hobbies. So I needed something to do. And I started a brand of fitness equipment, which turned out I was pretty good at. And I was selling online. I grew that business over three and a bit years and I sold it in late 2019. And at that time we were doing about 6 million US dollars in sales. And it was actually Thrasio's, uh, I think it was their second European acquisition, their first UK acquisition, if memory serves correctly. And I sold it through a broker. And that experience with that broker led to my accountant and I uh, deciding that we could do a better job and putting our heads together to combine our skills. Allison, uh, the who has her own accountancy firm and uh, looked after the accounts for that brand, which was called Beast Gear. And she's got about 20 years mergers and acquisitions experience and is a specialist e-commerce accountant. And I know how to run an e-commerce brand, uh, build it from nothing, scale it, make it a valuable asset. And I'm still doing it now. So I still understand what it's like to be an e-commerce seller because I'm still building brands now because I love it. But it means that I can relate to the people that we're working with. And so we created Ecom Brokers uh, to uh, offer a better solution for e-commerce sellers to maximize the value of their business, plan their route to exit, and then sell it for the best possible price and the deal structure that suits them to the right buyer. And here I am. Right. Well, I think that's I think that's interesting. I've never uh, I only know a few people, actually, if you don't mind me asking, saying who they actually sell their business to. Is that a personal preference or is that actually uh, public knowledge? Uh, because the I, I call it the aggregator space. There has to be a better name of it, like as mm -hmm. aggregator themes seems pretty dirty. We've we've kind of mentioned this in uh, past episodes here earlier this week of it seems very dirty, like a cut and dry uh, acquisition thing. But is, is that a common knowledge where people tell who they sold to or well, is there a pros and cons to that? Um, there are pros and cons. Uh, Thrasio used me in their PR. They published, they've got videos of me saying that, you know, I'm the owner of Beast Gear or I was the owner of Beast Gear and I sold my business right. to them. And I have a great relationship with them. Um, so yeah, it's, it's public knowledge. So I, can, I can't talk about ins and outs of the deal because of course that is under sure. NDA. But, NDA, um, yeah. Uh, I can say that uh, that's who I sold the business to. And just to touch on the point you mentioned there about the whole calling it the aggregator space. I think this is one of the symptoms that that's happening where people believe that when they sell their business, the only option is to sell it to an aggregator. Could right. be from the truth. You know, if you work with the right expert to find the right buyers or potential buyers for your business, you might sell it to an aggregator and that's absolutely fine, but you might sell it to other private equity, like big boy private equity. You might sell it to family office. You might sell it to a competitor. You might sell it to a competitor who isn't really very online or not very online in your particular uh, marketplace or country, and they want to get a bit more of a footprint there. Um, there's a whole range. You might, you might sell it to a private individual. Um, there's a whole range of potential buyers, so it doesn't have to be an aggregator. So it's important that we don't just get stuck in this rut of only talking about the people that have raised a whole ton of money recently. Right. I, I think I think that's a great that's a fantastic point. I uh, for the for the listener of this, uh, we've had people who. We've been doing this actually for a long time instead of the past two years, right? You you 
you mentioned that it's not just the people who are raising money and acquiring brands, but there's actually businesses out there who, and people and companies who are acquiring uh, SaaS solutions or uh, e-commerce uh, products or brands. There, there's this whole slew of different uh, uh kind of under the radar companies that are operating and still acquiring, but it's not the flashy marketing, hey, I raise a hundred million dollars and get there's nothing wrong with that. It's I think it's a different it's a different path that a lot of people are actually being um, being exposed to. And I think that's a very interesting point and in take is because there was a splash on the scene early in 2020 where you sell lots of money being raised and then it was quickly like a bunch of different companies propping out almost like not like weeds, but just quick growth quickly, uh, like fast. And now we see a lot of year one anniversaries. There's lots of different fascinating uh, takeaways and uh, notes out there of, hey, we're acquiring still, we're still growing. Our three largest, or like multiple different large acquisitions are happening. We're raising even more money. But there's also that 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 downward side to a lot of people are not talking about, which we can obviously hop into today. So that being said, um, so making a brand more profitable, uh, valuable. There's, there's kind of this, uh, this kind of this unknown way of how do I put number to something that is, is as arbitrary as a brand value or a name, but then also on what it could potentially become. For example, like you said, Beastgear uh, had so much equity on Amazon direct to consumer uh, profiles. Uh, sorry about that. Um, uh, direct to consumer profiles. And then also, what are they looking for in terms of valuation? Is there, is there kind of like this pretty consistent across the board, um, you know, kinds of categories that people are looking into in terms of dictating what a value, valuable company is or what they can put numbers to? Yeah. Okay. So you've, you've touched on a few things there. I think what might be helpful is to, 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 to rewind a little bit and to talk about just the environment that, that, or the things that people are going to be thinking about even before uh, we talk about what makes the business valuable and sellable and who might want to buy it, which is just why sell your, why sell your business? And actually, in a, in a way, that's even the wrong question because really it's about why make your business sellable because ultimately one day you're probably going to sell because if, if you've got a good business, that is, because there are people, there'll be people listening saying, yep, yeah, but I don't want to sell. That's fine. But you have to consider what might your mindset on that topic be in five years or 10 years or 15 years and how is the industry going to develop and it's absolutely fine if you think you're not gonna gonna sell but one day you might wake up and say actually i'm gonna sell and unfortunately if you haven't made your business sellable you now have a headache because you want to sell but it's in not it's not in a sellable condition but when we do think about why you might want to sell even if that day isn't now and you can't envision it being now one day it's probably going to happen it might be because you need the money because you got a new project that you're very excited about or to sail around the world. We're actually selling somebody's business right now who wants to sail around the world. It's pretty cool. Good for them. Or, That's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. It's very rare, but you know, he wants to do that. He's actually already bought the boat. Um, or you want to, you want to be a digital nomad or not even a digital nomad. You just want to go live on the beach. I think that'd be pretty boring, but that might be what you want to do. Could be because you recognize your business has almost peaked and you want to get out now where you're still growing, but you haven't maxed out growth. It could just be that it's time to move on. You no longer have the get up and go in the mornings or the passion for your business, and it needs somebody or an organization who does have that to take it on. And you don't have the resources potentially to scale it. And it could be just that you recognize that you've got a good business, which is in demand, 
and that you can get decent money for it. So those are, you know, those are the, that's kind of the backdrop of why you might want to sell. And so when it comes to what makes your business scalable and valuable, there's quite a few things that we can talk about. Um, timing is really important. Um, before your business needs to be growing, but not maxed out, right? You, you need to leave some meat on the bone for the potential buyer. The potential buyer wants to see that you've been enjoying some growth and they want to get in on that, accelerate that growth. And if there's no meat left on the bone, then they're less likely to want to buy it or it's not going to be as valuable. It might still be sellable. You might still sell it, but not for quite as much as you would have done. Is your business stable? There's lots of things that contribute to the stability of your business. For instance, are you selling in a risky niche? You know, some buyers will have a certain risk portfolio and will happily buy a business selling in a, in a risky niche. It's for instance, certain types of supplements and others will not, or they will, but they won't tolerate it so much. So, so the value to them is not as high. They won't pay as much. Have you been involved in any gray or black hat strategies? When it comes to selling your business, if an owner knows that that is the case, they're less likely to A, want to buy it, or B, they're going to buy it for a lower price. So it reduces the value of your business. What about the transferability, right? That's part of the stability, I guess. How transferable is the business? You know, if you were to, to fall down the stairs and break your legs and end up in hospital tomorrow, would your business run? If the answer is no, then you don't have a very transferable business when it comes to selling it either. So work needs to be done to put it into a position such that it can be transferred and you can hand over the keys. And then another one, I suppose, on the stability aspect is documentation. Whether it's everything from your accounts, and you wouldn't believe the state of some accounts we look at, right? The business on the outside looks phenomenal. The products look great. The photography is wonderful. The website's smooth and slick. The social media is insane. And you look at the accounts and it's a mess. So are your accounts not a mess? That's important, right? What about your intellectual property? Have you got good records of that? What's your documentation like there? Whether it's your patents or your patents or your, your trademarks, your registered designs. And how about systems and processes? And that links back to the transferability I mentioned before. So those types of things, and there's plenty more we can talk about if you want, help to make the business sellable and valuable. Right. And I think um, I, I think what a lot of brands are starting to, or I should say more people in the space who are acquiring businesses, they're looking at a couple of different things. I, I actually think the it's completely shifted in terms of mindset, right? A lot of people are like, I only want sales and um, history on Amazon. I don't want to have to deal with anything off of Amazon, which I always found super fascinating. Maybe Ben, maybe I was, I'm reading into this incorrectly. Is it fascinating to the point of that they're, they're saying that so that there is that quote, quote unquote, meat on the bone so that they can build a direct to consumer business. They can build out that omni-channel presence. They can maybe put in different marketplaces in different uh, countries. Um, obviously Amazon is now in 20 different countries, uh, just launched in Egypt. Uh, so there's, there's lots of different opportunities out there, but you're saying if a brand is almost so successful where it's in five or six or seven different, you know, marketplaces, it has all these different things going for it. It almost doesn't become as valuable of an asset for someone to buy it, to grow it later on down the road, because there's not, there is stuff for it to do, but there's not as much or as easy uh, wins and low hanging fruit that you can potentially win. Is that, is that a cynical side to look at? Or is that a, is that an actuality that mindset have shifted of all Amazon sales or 90% of the sales are coming from Amazon, but now it's actually like, I want to do like 60, 40 or yeah. almost maybe like 50, 50 even. You, yeah. You, you, so there's, there's 
multiple different avenues that that can spin off in. So let me just just pick one right to begin with. Um, when so Thrasio formed in 2018, September 2018, and and, and shortly afterwards, especially early 2020, a whole bunch of more, more people raised a ton of money to acquire e-commerce businesses, particularly those using the Amazon FBA uh, channel. And so for the majority of them, particularly when they started, they didn't like the complexity of anything that wasn't Amazon FBA. Straightforward, goes from the supplier, maybe goes into a 3PL, but more often than not, straight into the Amazon warehouse, done. And they didn't have the capability to deal with 3PLs, DTC websites, whether they're built in Shopify or Magento or whatever it is. And those things sometimes would have put them off a deal. However, more and more of them are getting more um, capable. They've made more hires of the, the right talent required to run more complex businesses. And so these guys are a little bit more um, savvy when it comes to that. And many of them have changed their deal criteria from wanting you know, upwards of 90% on Amazon FBA and actually sometimes just buying a business and then just shutting down the D2C side completely because they just didn't know what they were doing unless it was completely automated and, and fulfilled through Amazon very easily. More and more of them now are very happy to look at quite a large proportion, uh, not on Amazon. If we're talking about the, the, the aggregators and the new wave of aggregators that we've seen. With regards to the point you made about having enough meat on the bone, certainly when it comes to the aggregators, they're gonna to want to see that there are, there are easy wins for them. So for instance, if you've got a brand in the US and it hasn't yet been taken into Europe, particularly the UK, just because it's the same language. It's a very easy win for them to bring it over, the reviews port over, get some inventory into the UK and then Europe, and they can very quickly get some growth. So there's tons of meat on the bone there. And that goes vice versa. It goes for a brand that's in the UK, but hasn't yet exploited Europe, etc. particularly through all of Amazon's channels. But you mentioned there this potential scenario where you've got a brand that has already maxed out all these, these potential opportunities on these um, platforms. Right. First of all, I guess, <clears throat> reasonably likely there's still some more opportunities out there, whether it's uh, adding more products and selling more products to the same people, or simply adding more resources to the marketing to drive more sales through the DTC channels. But at this point, if we're talking about an enormous brand that is exploiting you know, North America, Europe, extremely well. Well, there's still opportunities now to go into Amazon in the Middle East. Egypt's there, United Arab Emirates is there, and then further afield in Australia as well. But at this point, we might be dealing with a brand that actually isn't going to be sold to an, an aggregator, you know, a financial buyer, but it's going to go to more of a strategic purchase to, to big boy private equity or a, a group of uh, a fund which owns multiple brands and is looking for a strategic uh, uh, purchase to add a particular type of brand to its portfolio. And that's when we're, you know, that that's a different kettle of fish from what most of, I think our listeners will be dealing with at the moment. Yeah. Well, and, and you brought a good, a good point because, um, as you know, a lot of people are just saying, again, the, the it's not naivety. It's a, it's a moment of, I don't know what options are available to me and not, not exist in any sort of business world, right. Of, what comes with opportunity uh, comes with somewhat knowing your options available. So let's take a, uh, you had talked about, you know, a different kind of avenue of not just, you know, 
what 50 70 different companies that call themselves a you know a business or an amazon brand acquirer if you will um to put to put it in nice words um as like a, a very nice term there there has been this notion has always been around for a long time right there's there's been brands that have been acquired by again private equity money and there's a distinction in line that i always hear it's is a certain level of you think there's a lot of money being pumped into this ecosystem right now wait until private equity the, the phrase always comes from wait until private equity money comes into play now i'm kind of naive in that scale but i want to think that it's going to be a lot larger pocketbooks a lot bigger systems in place or people or companies in place that can actually absorb the capabilities and then actually effectively run them without blinking an eye is that is that kind of the difference between private equity versus a, a company scaling quickly hey we built third-party brands and then maybe i and then we're going to build this team from the ground up quickly effectively and efficiently i think you're right because what's happening is a lot of the, the 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 aggregators and just you know for 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 to for the avoidance of doubt when we talk about aggregators we're talking about you know organizations formed in the in, in probably in the last 18 months that are, are growing rapidly flying by the seat of their pants have raised a ton of money um to be honest 80 percent of them are are not going to succeed um because they know how to raise money but they know diddly squat about e-commerce is there is there a threshold like just a quick pen real quick is there is there a threshold that can make you instantly think that they're not going to succeed is it the amount of quote quote money raised or is there is there something that's already in the in the tea leaves that you can read they're not it's probably going to last it's long. not the amount of money raised because there are people who haven't raised very much money but their strategy is right because they're cutting their cloth according to how much money they've raised Right? Sure. And they're they're kind of they're flying under the radar. There's little guys. I really like them. They're flying under the radar. They're picking up small deals, and they're they're, they're taking the, that approach. But there's others. Small, steady approach. approach yeah. yeah. Got it. Slow and steady wins the race, and they're being sensible, and they're actually hiring some decent talent. There's others who haven't raised very much money, but they're trying to go big and compete with the big boys, and they can't do it. And they're floundering. They're trying to merge with each other, and they're not going to succeed. And they're struggling to hire the talent. And the talent doesn't work want to work for them the talent wants to build their own brand and then sell it right that's one of the problems that, that some of these guys have and then you've got others that are are not sure whether they're going big or going home and they've kind of raised middling amounts of money and it remains to be seen how they're going to do um to come back to your point though about you know the, the real private equity as it were, <laughs> um it, money's money no matter how you raise it but yeah it's people but, who've done it in different capacities yeah the right? more mature the more mature shall we say uh, yeah, it, it's a lot more mature, and um, I think they will have they have better operational jobs when it comes to this. And and kind of those who are rapidly growing, flying by the seat of their pants, don't necessarily have the operational jobs to do this. Uh, which is really why, if you do sell to those guys, that your deal needs to be tight so you don't get get screwed when the earnout goes goes all wrong because they've missed your earnout targets because they don't have the operational jobs to run your brand properly. So that's why your deal needs to be really tight. Right. And so when this does happen, when a whole bunch of the, the new aggregators uh, fail and we see more traditional private equity coming in, I think it's going to be good for sellers because we're going to see a maturation in the mergers and acquisitions process in this industry. 
because right now there's some i would call, i would say we're in a new wild west you know if people spoke about the wild west of third party selling on amazon in like 2014 15 16 kind of days you of know when you're allowed to like every review on amazon and at the bottom of the review it said i wrote this review in exchange for a free product rankings you know, those... or yeah ranking your product there's always a yeah. new strategy oh. and everyone was integrated and how do i rank my product quickly effectively oh giveaways uh coupons 100 giveaway like <laughs> yeah. it, it, i've heard it all <laughs> And those were the Wild West days. Well, we're in a new Wild West, you know, M&A and e-commerce, where, uh, frankly, there's some uh, interesting things going on, um, which we can talk about if you want. Yeah, which I no, think yeah, let's let's dive into it. I, because I think, like you said, my fascination with this part of industry, not just the people who are uh, working for it. Again, we saw even just like of note, like I'm going to give my quick hitter. Like I always want to, I'm, I'm a big social listener. If you are a friend of the show or if you're a listener, you will know that I am a big social listener. I like to observe what's going on. I like to put feelers out there and then understand kind of at a whole what's going on. What's really fascinating, there's lots of things happened literally in the last 48 hours, 72 hours or so. You lost a CEO of a major aggregator. Um, I won't name names, but you can actually, you can actually uh, co-CEO, excuse me. Um, you lost one of the, uh, those individuals. So the head of your organization that built this from the ground up, major one, I'm talking just to narrow down top five uh, in terms of money raised, um, you see talent being acquired at an incredible rate. Um, there's constant, all these jobs, brand managers, uh, all these kinds of things are happening. But then you also see bigger names starting to enter the place uh, that have ran multiple e-commerce. You know, um, For example, I think uh, I saw the former VP of technology or VP of operations or something like that came over from Goop to one of those um, which is uh, ran by Gwyneth Paltrow and now is running operations or technologies over at uh, one of the other aggregators. So again, lots of different things are happening. Um, but again, it's only happened in the last less than two years yeah. um, in the space. So lots of growing pains, lots of things are happening, not just to them, but also just like every other Amazon seller, right? That they're yeah. going through problems and so, such. So uh, yeah, let's talk about uh, those, those kinds of uh, new... I forget how you phrased it, yeah, the new I mean, kind of so things that's happening. Caveat, right? Before I, I talk about this, I, I like the aggregators. I work with them every day and selling to an, to, to an aggregator is absolutely fine, provided you take your business through the right process to find the, a pool of the right buyers and maximize the value of your business. And don't give it away for what they tell you it's worth. Very good point. Um, so just that's the backdrop, right? Right. Like we're, we're, we're just looking, we're reading between the lines and we, yeah, I, I like agree. This is very, and, very much a good thing for our, and I don't business. necessarily blame them for any of the things that I'm about to mention. I think it's just a symptom of an immature industry. Okay. But suppose you're Bob, right? And, uh, you're Bob and you, you're, you're running your business and you, you're, you're working with a PPC agency. And you go to you're, you're having a, your 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 monthly meeting with your PPC agency guy, and you say, uh, "Yeah, I'm I'm thinking about selling." And and the PPC agency guy says, "Oh, oh great, Bob. Um, uh, talk to talk to uh, talk to Dave Dave the aggregator. He'll he'll look after you." Well, great. It's a recommendation from the PPC guy who you trust, who runs your PPC really well. You go talk to Dave. Dave dangles what looks like a a really pretty big carrot in front of you for your business possibly the biggest carrot you've ever seen, the biggest carrot that you ever dreamed of having, right? And so you, you take his offer and you exchange your business for his carrot. What you don't know, what you didn't realize is two things. One is your business is not worth a carrot. Your business is worth a whole sack of carrots. And two a is, bushel. 
A bushel of carrots. Absolutely. That's the word we're looking for. The, the, the PPC guy who referred you to Dave has just been given 50 grand by, the, by Dave the aggregator, which you didn't know. And that 50 grand, by the way, you paid it. It came out of what you would have got paid for your right. business. You would have got a carrot plus 50 grand. And so you now know that your PPC agent wasn't working in your best interests. He was working in his own best interests. He wanted 50 grand. And rather than saying to you, well, actually, what you should do, Bob, is take your business through a process to understand what is the true value of your business, prepare it for sale, and then market it to a pool of the right buyers such that you get the best possible deal. That would have been the right thing to do. And actually, if he'd thought about it, the PPC guy could have still got a commission on that. It might not have been 50 grand straight up front, but it would have been a commission and his client would have had the best experience. There's right. a there's a similar situation going on now where instead of giving the PPC guy 50 grand, he's getting a car. So we had one of them. We had those people on earlier this week. <laughs> I can refer my friend to to somebody and I know he's going to get a less good deal because he's dealing with them directly and he's going to pay for me to have a car but he doesn't really know he's paying for me to have a car, you know? So th those are just a couple of examples. Of, and, and so, you know, mom and pop businesses, people who've worked incredibly hard on their business for, for possibly years, crying down the phone to tell the port at 3 a.m., you know, you know what it's like in e-commerce, putting out fires left, right, and center. Somebody dangles this carrot in front of them that they, they you know, they think, great, I put blood, sweat, and tears into this business, and now I'm going to get a, a good chunk of money for it. Well, your business is worth way more. And what you didn't know was that the person referring you to them didn't have your best interests at heart. And so this is just some of the stuff that's going on at the moment, which is uh, interesting. And doesn't it doesn't um, it doesn't happen in more mature industries, put it that way. Right. I want to I want to I want to add on to that in in the caveat of this has always been some sort of there's always been in business some sort of program where people speak on your behalf. It's called referral uh, marketing or performance based marketing. The dirty term is affiliate-based marketing. Again, I worked in the industry. I've done it on direct-to-consumer. I've done it in SaaS. I've done it to a lot of different things. People will go to bat for a software solution product, no matter what it is. And it's easy to track it. It's e Whether it's a coupon code, a link, or whatever it might be, or just like an introduction email, it could be as simple as that, where that XYZ, there's a in the background a referral-based agreement, whether it's a percentage of sale. It could be, like you said, a car. It could be... Um, the scalable feature of no matter what they're per exit at, you get a percentage of that. There's lots of different things they can get, even like discounted products, like in the world of business that exists in lots of different levels. So it's not unique to this one area. I think it is deceptive if you were going into this solution uh, situation, like you had mentioned, as a brand owner, and I go to my PPC expert, and I know for a fact that, hey, who should I go with? And oh, yeah, go directly to XYZ because of like they're going to be the best. Now, best is again, it's a, an opinionated uh, phrase at that moment because there there's other incentives in the background. It's not a bad thing, but people are not forthright in terms of, like you said, that fifty grand is coming out of their pockets, going into their pocket. It's all it's all kind of that yeah. ecosystem. So, you know, what, what's kind of the take on the best way to do it, right? Is, or what's the most protected way to do it? Like referral yeah. person wins still. Um, seller actually wins more they get to keep more they yeah. actually know the value based of their business so though we so just to touch on what you said there yeah really good point and so some people listening will be saying oh it's okay because my pbc my pbc guy actually told me about like these six different people 
The problem there is not, it, it's a bit better. Like they haven't sent you just a one, right? But so you now potentially, if you've got a good business, you potentially got a little bit of a competitive environment going on. Problem there is still that you're going to pay for your PPC guy's car or the 50 grand or 70 grand or whatever he's going to get. It's going to come out of your, uh, what they would have paid you for your business. The other problem there is you're still not taking your business through the proper process to, to plan your exit and maximize the value of it, which we can touch on in a minute, which is all related to how you calculate the value of it when you're, when you're understanding the, your, your SDE, your seller's discretionary earnings or your EBITDA, if, you're, if we're going to talk about that. But to, to answer your question on what you do then, if you're not going to go with whoever your PPC guy sends you to. So in response to the problems of going direct to a buyer, where you're going to end up with a, a, a poor offer and, and deal structure that doesn't suit you, but suits them entirely. And it's really hard work to do on your own anyway. Um, some other models emerged. We saw the emergence of uh, generic listing services where you can flip your business online. This tends to result in a lower valuation because they, they're working at a, a grand scale with a lot of sellers and not particularly doing much work. And I experienced this service myself, not particularly doing much work other than pulling some reports out of your Amazon account and deciding that your business is worth X based on the average of all the businesses they've sold recently. So not really digging in to understand your business and doing the analysis to figure out how they can actually make appropriate adjustments to maximize the value of your business and then market it to a pool of the right buyers other than just kind of putting it on their, their eBay of businesses. So that, that emerged and it's not great. In response to that, we've seen the emergence of um, consultants who attract your interest because they charge a pretty low fee, you know, four or 5%. Unfortunately, they also don't tend to do a lot of work. It is usually a case of they email a lot of people 70 to 100 aggregators usually and also take a take a referral fee so again not much happening to maximize the value of your business and you're going to end up working directly with a buyer anyway so in response to that we've seen the emergence of marketplaces which uh sound really great because they don't have any fees you don't have to pay fees the the buyer will pay the fees uh -uh. you're paying the fees when the buyer pays the fee they're just knocking it off what you would have got paid. And again, you end up working directly with the buyer. So the answer to all of those not very good solutions is to work with a qualified expert, such as happens in mature industries all over the world and has happened for decades. And ideally, these needs to be experienced individuals who have experience on all sides of the equation. So business owners, e-commerce brand builders, mergers and acquisitions experts and accountants who will not flip your business, but will take the time to carefully and considerately sell your business to the right buyer on a timeline that suits you and in a way that suits you, such as what do you want? Do you want to sell a hundred percent? Do you want to retain some equity? Do you want to be a consultant? Do you want to uh, do an equity role? Do you want to have as much upfront as possible with no earnout, or do you want to have a bit of an earnout because you can see where it's going and you want to continue advising on that growth? Whoever you work with, they need to work with you on that basis to help prepare your business for sale and get it uh, built to sell. And they need to carefully organize and understand the numbers to maximize your seller's discretionary earnings, which is 
usually in e-commerce, the basis on which a business is valued. And they need to add value. So basically the work that they do needs to pay for the fee that they take, which is typically commission-based. And then they need to position the business properly and market it to pull the right buyers, not just list it on a website. And then structure the deal to suit you. So that's the solution to the pitfalls of those other things that we mentioned. Right. Well, I mean, again, I think it makes most sense because a lot of people are told, again, I, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's the wrong thing to do if people are saying, yeah, don't worry about shopping around, like again, a car, like we're, we're talking about your asset. You want to actually be able to look around and see who's going to give you the best, uh, the best chance, obviously the marketability. It's like, it's in terms of like working with real estate or working with um, any sort of asset. You want to work with somebody who has that pool of people that they can come to them, work for them, um, have that ability to get you the best terms based upon what the seller is wanting to do right if i have if i have this asset what do i want out of it like you mentioned if it's a flat earnout, uh if it's an earnings uh quote unquote earnout over time a year or two whatever that, that those terms are or again just having the ability to somewhat have this buy-in feature which i've always never really quite understood that a quote aggregator would want to do of have a piece of the pie but not the whole pie if you will it's either a cut or dry aspect. Um, a lot of things kind of stand out me with each of them, and I've heard both good and bad of lots of different things. One, cash, all cash earnouts, depending on who you are, it's it's like one, it's like the lottery, right? How do you want to get paid out for this value that someone put on? You can earn more over time as something. Uh, you can actually earn more if you take it in increments over time and then hit different bonuses over time, right? You're not paying as much taxes, so on and so forth. You can actually, quote, have more in your pocket um, and earn out more if something performs at a higher level. The negative side of that is, is that you're entrusting this ability of a company who's less than two years old yep. to actually grow that opportunity uh, in the way that you are doing that. And it's all forecasted, right? Um, I've, heard, I've heard bad things where people have not... You know, it's not on it's not on the aggregator at that point to do anything, but just operate it. Um, it's actually it's actually might be better if they didn't operate as efficiently as maybe if they wanted to ultimately by themselves. Again, I'm not saying businesses are doing that, but I've heard that, you know, people just don't foresee something happening or they don't do something where they know it's going to be a problem. They stock out for 30 days. And then all of a sudden, you're up ship's creek, uh, for lack of a better term, and you uh, no longer have the ability to make those earnouts um, yeah. per quarterly and earnings. Is, and I hear those horror stories about people who who say to themselves, "It's hilarious, actually. Well, it's, it, it would be hilarious if it wasn't so sad that this happens to people." And it saddens me when people they put their heart and soul into their business, and then they 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 let it go for way less than it's worth, and then they get screwed on the earnout because the contract's not tight enough because they went alone. Yeah. And so we're happy to spend money on a PPC expert. We're happy to spend money on a photographer, a videographer, an, an IP attorney to get our trademarks done, um, translations, keyword research, etc. But then when it comes to our most valuable asset, we fall for this trick of uh, deal with us directly and avoid the broker fee, but then lose tons of money on this awful deal that is completely skewed in our favor. So for okay. instance, you miss an earnout target or they, they actually miss the earnout target. They're the ones running the business now by, you know, 10 bucks and you've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. This is why your earnout structure needs to be tight. So 
if an earnout target is missed, there is a, a, a safety net below it, right? So, you, you know, you you didn't hit that that target. So instead of getting 250 grand, you're going to get 200 grand. Or you didn't miss right. that target, you're going to get 100. You know, you get the idea. In addition, you need to remember that, you know, Bob in supply chain at half past four on a Friday afternoon probably cares less about whether you're going to be in stock next week than you do because you've got 250 grand riding on it and he doesn't. Therefore, part of the deal that needs to be negotiated, and again, this is this works when you have a, an M&A attorney and a, a good broker working with you on this, is that um, you will get read-only access to wherever they're selling your brand. So you can flag these things up before they become an issue because you care more than Bob in supply chain. Right, you're checking in your account or you can look and see, you know, yeah, you can hey, see inventory going, levels. Have you, thought about this? have you noticed that this, have you checked with, with supplier XYZ that this is going to be in on time? Maybe we need to bring this in by air instead of C, that type of thing. Or what about, you know, another, another way you can protect yourself is that uh, it's written into the contract that if they go out of stock on a certain uh, product or products, plural, for more than a particular amount of time, say a week in any 30 day period, you get your earn out. And that way you're protected if they screw it up. I like so that. As I said before, right? 80% of these guys are going to fail. And many of them, they just don't know about how to run an e-commerce brand. And the, the so, ones who, some of them are yeah. smart. They know they don't know. So they're actually outsourcing it to decent agencies who do know. But nonetheless. So, yeah, I was going to say uh, with um, with Ben, some of these earnouts, again, they could be across a couple of years or so. It's a little concerning. If I were a brand, I would want, and I'm selling my business, that, that, that forecast of, hey, we're going to be around this is with anything, right? Of a subscription-based service, or you're going to have it for a value of perceived over time. That's if that business exists over that period of time. I, I hate to ask the question. If I sold my brand to a business that happens to go down that road, they don't operate effectively, and they just like shut the doors or whatever that looks like. Does that does that actually effectively affect me as a seller in my earnouts, or are they legally um, tied to something? Of the nature like how, do, how can we protect people in that regards yeah um it's tough um in many 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 cases you're you're you're, you're kind of screwed um however um what can be done is some form of insurance can be in place uh on on both sides of the deal uh so for the seller and the and the buyer and uh in addition it could be that you are able to get actually the earnout underwritten um so almost like a protect, almost like a protection clause of, hey, if they go bankrupt or anything, or the deal falls through in that amount of time, you would essentially get a protection. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, uh, to be honest, um, with regards to us, uh, we tend to, you know, you never know what's going to happen, but when we're presenting a business to a pool of the right buyers, we're 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 focusing on those who, A, they're not all necessarily aggregators, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Right. But but B, it's those who actually we have confidence have the chops to run the thing. So if, you know, they might specialize, you know, we might be selling a pet brand and this organization specializes in pet brands. And we wouldn't dream of selling it to somebody who is an expert in um, arts and crafts. Right? Right. You know, that type of thing. So... There, that gives us confidence that they're going to be fine. In addition, if you do lack confidence in that potential uh, buyer, A, that's a red flag not to sell to them. And B, uh, you would be structuring the deal such that you are getting way more upfront 
so that in the event that it does all go tits up, to use a British phrase, you're not going to be completely screwed in terms of the earn. Right. So that being said, there, there's one of those, and then I'll cash out uh, or cash out all in the beginning. Again, if you're, again, going back to my lottery reference, uh, if you're in the United States, you can get an all cash up front. You don't have that payout earn out, but again, you're paying more theoretically in taxes and you're getting less. Uh, so of that potential cap, you're maybe getting 70% of it instead of 90% of it in theory. So um, that, that's kind of the short-term, long-term risk versus reward of how much do you actually want out of it. Um, is there, so for maximizing that potential Audi, what are like the the top maybe like three things that people are, again, I always hear clean books. I hear keeping your, you know, more <clears throat> me on the bun like we talked about earlier. What are those other like maybe low hanging fruit that if I'm ready to go to a market, whether it's a aggregator or it's a smaller based business and I'm gonna approach you with you, Ecom brokers, what are those things that you're going to look at it and say, like, hey, you you hit the top three or five things, like this is going to be good for you. Like this is, it's only going to get better from here. So what are those things? Intellectual property is vital. Um, buyers want to know that they are not going to, when they uh, sell your products, they're not infringing on anyone else's intellectual property and no one else is infringing on theirs. Or if somebody does, the, the trademarks exist and um, stand up. That's really, really important. The other thing, and this is something that we do um, when we're working with sellers is this, the due diligence process is intense and, and rightly so, right? Somebody's going to give you quite a lot of money for your business more than quite a lot of money in many cases. And therefore they're gonna leave no stone unturned when they do their due diligence. And that's absolutely fair enough. I remember going through due diligence for my first exit. I thought someone was gonna come to my house and scan my retinas. And so what we do is we get our sellers a head start on that process so that everything is neat and tidy and organized. Every stone has already been unturned and we can really neatly present it with a ribbon on top to the buyer or the potential buyer when they're doing their due diligence. This helps in several ways. First of all, it makes the seller's life easier and they feel more prepared. Second of all, it makes the buyer's life easier. The whole thing's a lot smoother. They're not constantly chasing for certain documents or certain pieces of information. And if there is anything that we have to kind of disclose, and this is important, right? When you're, when you're selling your business, you have to be entirely honest and upfront. And dis if there's anything that needs to be disclosed, like, uh, hey, uh, once I had a product suspended because I didn't have the right safety certification, something mm -hmm. like that. Or, and it ranges from that, which is fairly innocent to, because, you know, you got the, the right certification, everything was fine, done, fixed, to, you know, nasty black hat stuff, right? All right I was going to say, it, right? I think, yeah, the one thing I've heard recently, um, and I think Chris McCabe of, you know, e-commerce Chris actually mentioned a lot, is how are people... In the, in the likelihood of an acquisition, how how likely is your business going to be potentially attacked, uh, whether it's a BSR of top 10, which most people, hopefully, and that is where you're at if you're going to get the most bang for your buck, but how likely are you to be attacked or have you been attacked in the past for um, those tactics? And I, I, think, um, I think that's a super interesting thing of the risk proposition of putting money into something that might be as risky as being attacked yep. by other third-party sellers or bad actors or anything like that. Again, yep. hopefully that's not the case, but there's a risk tolerance there. 
Yeah. So just to, 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 to kind of round off the last bit and then start this bit. So when, 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 we're, when we have to disclose anything, if we've made everything neat and tidy, really presentable with a ribbon on top, made their life easier, they're way less likely to push back during that period or try to negotiate a discount on something or whatever, because everything, their life is way easier. The whole process is smoother. Everything looks a lot more professional and presentable, right? So that's really important. And to come to your point, the Chris made. It's a double-edged sword. The more successful your brand, the more likely it is that you're going to get attacked in some way. But, and therefore one might think, well, if that's happening, people are not really going to want to buy my business. But people who are buying businesses in this space understand that they're buying businesses in this space. And they know and they recognize that that is a reality of what happens in this space, right? So let me give you an example. My brand was subject to black hat attacks because we were successful. Right. But after a lot of badgering, I got my brand gated so that no one else could sell, sell my brand. People could sell it as used. And you know, you know, once in a blue moon on every private label listing, um, somebody decides that they bought your, they bought your, I don't know, they bought your calculator new and they don't like it for whatever reason. They're just going to list it back on there as used. And then it's gone within a day or two. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But I was able to, after a lot of black hat attacks, Amazon gated my brand so that only I could sell it as new because I was able to demonstrate that there was no supply chain distribution outside of my business. Right. We didn't sell wholesale and we manufactured our products through our manufacturers. And so we got our, our brand gated. And actually, so then this was the interesting thing, getting attacked by black hatters, which led to us getting gated, actually let, gave an extra level of protection around the brand and made right. our brand more sellable and valuable. That's a good thing. Right. I, I think there's lots. Yeah. That, that in itself is, that's a, that's a plus in that column too. So like you said, yeah, there, there can be good things that come from it. Um, but it's, it's the lack of foundation to get to where you and your team did of, Yep. Hey, it's been attacked before. We figured it out. Shouldn't be a problem again. Dot dot dot. Well, did you actually fix the problem, or is it open to potentiality yeah. of oh. it being attacked again? And, and, and the good news is that, generally speaking, Amazon is getting, and if we're talking about Amazon in particular, right? Amazon is getting way way better at dealing with these issues. And things like hijackings are far less common now. And when they do occur, they get shut down much faster because. The situation has evolved and Amazon's understanding of it is better and the processes of dealing with it better. And as I mentioned, the buyers in this space kind of know what they're getting into, right? But the flip side of that is if you have been involved in anything. So whatever you do, don't do black hat stuff because you're going to have to disclose it one day when it comes to selling your business. And you can try and get away with not disclosing it, but mm -hmm. I recommend that you really must not do that so yeah what, what would be those i was gonna say ben yeah what are those things like for a person who's maybe not not naive but they haven't come across yet what buying are the reviews okay buying negative reviews um anything with like a ranking or a yeah, like a exactly. ranking solution ranking and review manipulation right don't do those things um especially right it might be possible to <laughs> You might be able to do it and get away with it, 
and you got away with it because you didn't get caught. And so then there's no trail. But ultimately, if you get caught and then you have flags on your account, when they're doing their due diligence with their access to your account and they see these flags and your account health isn't very good, they're not going to be particularly impressed. Sounds like a childhood, like, uh, yeah, we're, we're going back to our childhood of, hey, you know, you could do this, but if you get caught, there's going to be so serious consequences. Yeah, like, well, yeah, and consequences potentially if it kills a deal to the tune of millions of pounds or dollars. So that would suck. So don't do it. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, th I think this is a very, very fair and honest point. Like th there is a there is a world where people, again, we talked about the Wild West days. Um, this is going to be very like I'm connecting very loose dots here. Those happened in the past. Is there is there something like of that capacity that's happening right now in the Wild West of business acquisition? Like what should be what should a seller be wary about if they hear these things or see these phrases or they come back with something that maybe isn't right, right? Like, um, like again, do, do you okay. see where I'm saying? Yeah, like, I'm trying to- you, I'm, Yeah, I'll just tell you straight up what's happening, right? So aggregators will find you because they're scraping Amazon for sellers. So even if they're not remotely interested in your business, you probably get an email from them telling, telling you how wonderful your business is. And um, that's gonna be fantastic because you've, you've only recently been banging your head off a brick wall trying to get someone in sales support to fix your problem. And that's almost to give you quite a lot of money for your business, a whole carrot perhaps to use the, the term we were using before. And they're then gonna, so you're, you're extremely flattered and it seems wonderful. And they're gonna ask you to send over your PNL and various bits of your, your data. And then they're gonna come back and tell you what your business is worth. Uh-uh, that's not how it works. You take your business through a process with the right experts to deeply understand your data and deeply understand your business and how it works and maximize the value of it by making the right adjustments and addbacks to maximize your SDE. And I realize we haven't even spoken about adjustments and addbacks. And then you market it to a pool of the right buyers. And then they can make an offer based on what your business is truly worth. And then you can negotiate a deal structure that suits you and not them. Mm -hmm. Red flags are things like um, work with us and avoid the broker fee. That's, that's code for... Um, please don't work with an expert who's going to maximize the value of your business and arrange a competitive environment where we have to bid for your business amongst a pool of other buyers. That means hand over your business for as, as little as we want to give you for it. That, those are the, the, the main red flags. The work that a competent broker will do to appropriately calculate what your business is truly worth will pay for their fee multiple times over. Yeah. And uh, that's We've the moral of that story, I think. In the pro of that too, uh, I'm going to speak on behalf of these businesses I don't work for. Again, the pro to working with a broker too, if you haven't been sold on the listener yet already, knowing somebody who can comp comp, you know, competently put numbers on paper and say like all the different valuations actually makes the job for a aggregator that much easier in terms of due diligence and actually know the valuation of a company of, I don't have to overpay for uh, a business. I know the true value of it and I'm not just shooting in the dark. It makes my job a lot easier. It makes my, uh, I look a lot better in across the board. You know, if I just have to outbid somebody a little bit, I know I'm not paying, oh, grossly overpaying. Maybe I just have to do uh, restructuring of terms a little bit more. It, it, I think it actually benefits people, although they don't want to pay more. It benefits, it benefits you long-term yeah, to yeah. know that the brand itself is going to be a, yep. a legitimate and this business. Is why, this is why they don't hate us. 
because people watching this will be like, oh, God, they, they must hate you. But actually, they don't. And I get on great with them because I make their lives easier. Because here's the thing. Suppose your business, suppose they buy your business for, for, for directly from you or, or, or from a broker, regardless, right? Let's just, doesn't matter. They, you, they, they bought your business. Let's just pretend they bought it for 3x. The moment they bought it, it's worth way more than a 3x multiple because they've just rolled it into their wider portfolio. Therefore, they can well afford to pay you what it is really worth when you take it through a process, you know, whether that's three and a half or four X, whatever. And, and when you've got a, 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 an appropriately calculated SDE, right? Because they're still going to make a huge uh, profit or gain on your business, you know, the moment exactly the deal is done because they've just rolled it up, let alone after they've grown it some more and then sold it down the line. So they can well afford to pay you what it's really worth after you've taken it through a process. Secondly, when they work with us, we are bringing them businesses that, as you said, we have made neat and tidy by taking through our process. We have vetted them. We have audit, essentially, we've audited the business for them and made their life in due diligence that much easier. And the person on the acquisitions team looks really good to all their colleagues because they're like, check out this wonderful business that I found. Whereas, you know, their usual process of scraping Amazon and contacting every Tom, Dick and Harry results in a lot of crappy businesses that they just they look at briefly and then turn down so that's why actually they like us sorry i'm thinking about like you're, you're speaking to all, everything that i've always said about this uh, ben and that and that's just the valuation of a business again so night i don't want to think a lot of people naive like i said you you went through this process you actually inevitably found that there is this way of getting more for it. And I don't know if you had buyer's remorse or anything like that. Is it, is it just that simple of working with competent people, knowing that they're going to be beneficial for you? They're looking out for your best interest. They know the people who are maybe competent enough or knowledgeable enough to know what the value of a true business or brand is. Because again, it's not just with 60 names out there with the name aggregator. It's there's all this kinds of opportunity. Yeah. Do, you, yeah, I, I guess the point I'm getting at is are pe people need to be worried about multiple different things in terms of like, hey, if I don't do it now, I'm not going to get like a ridiculous overgross pay. Like, again, if my my care is actually worth $2 million again, or my care is actually worth $5 million, yeah. I'd rather them pay me $5 million. So in, in, the, in theory, this bubble, if you will, is, I want somebody to overpay for me. It, do we do we see that coming back to earth like pretty quickly and that you're going to see this mad dash to exit businesses as quickly as possible? Or do you think people are just going to kind of ride the waves and hopefully say, my value is my value? Like, that's it. Yeah, like, I, 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 you hit the nail on the head. My value is my value. So there are people who are, uh, wrongly in my opinion, um, rushing to exit because they are concerned that this bubble is going to burst. This bubble may burst or it may go in waves, or we might see an enormous shift when a whole bunch of these guys fail and, and big boy private equity comes in. But regardless of what happens, if you have built a brand, a suite of products, which serves a particular group of people, and it is a sustainable brand and you're not just selling random stuff, then there will be a buyer for it because it has value, regardless of the noise that's going on in this space. So if that's you and you've got a great business that you stand behind and you have faith in, 
If you're ready to sell now, that's fine. If you're ready to sell in six months, that's fine. If you just want to understand what your business is worth now, so you can then reverse engineer a route to exit, that is the best thing to do. And don't just rush to sell now because of all the noise that's going on. Your business is your business and it will sell to the right buyer when the time is right. And so just to touch on what I just said before, that's the, the best thing that anyone can do, right? If they're Even if they think they're ne they never want to sell or even if they're just unsure and they don't know is work with a competent expert now to find out what the business is worth. So you can say, okay, here's my reference point. It's worth X. Actually, I want to sell it for Y. What are the steps we need to take to get there? Because otherwise it's like, uh, it's like orienteering without a map and a compass. And you don't know what the hell's going on. I don't know what that means, but I, th I think I understand what you're getting. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Orienteering. No, I get it. Um, now I know we've already ran out of time and I, I could talk about this for, for multiple hours. And I know we have something uh, kind of a round table coming up again for those who haven't asked our questions or people who obviously want to get to the bottom of like what's going on with their brand or maybe just want to explore for the first time or really just get your insight then what, what are those ways to to connect with you and how do we go about doing that sure uh you can uh, get me on linkedin just search my name ben leonard um you can email me ben at ecombrokers.co.uk and if you want to get a free ebook about how to prepare your business for sale, you can go to ecombrokers.co.uk slash ebook. Um, otherwise, just head over to our website, which is ecombrokers.co.uk. It's a UK domain because that's where we are. But uh, it's a small world. We're talking uh, over the over the Atlantic Ocean right now. So we work with sellers all over the world. So, yep, we're here to help. That's right. Well, I mean, of course, great insight as always. And I would talk hours after this, but of you know friend of the show of course and we'll have to do you know part three four five six like every month we're gonna have to check in and see like what's new with going on in the space and have to i know it's 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 crazy but hey can, again since we last saw you congratulations on the newborn fantastic okay. stuff as always so yeah. again i know craziness going on over there as always but are you are you doing any events uh are you going outside or speaking at anything uh, uh, upcoming. I'm not doing as much as I would would have would have done if it weren't for for yeah the new kiddo. Um, I was hoping to get down to seller sessions live in London uh, next month, but I'm not going to go. I'm speaking at Amafest in the UK, but that's not till March next year. Wow. Um, oh, I am speaking. Oh, stupid me. Uh, tomorrow, I am speaking tomorrow on at the uh, Clickbox Summit. That's right. Um, with Augustus Cleggies and his team over Orange Click. Click. Yeah, I'm speaking tomorrow at the Clickbox Summit, and. For now, that's it. There's something possibly in the pipeline coming up, but I can't tell you what it is yet because we haven't confirmed it. But when it, yeah. when, when, when we do, I will sing it from the rooftops. Fingers fingers crossed, and then we'll uh, we'll make sure we share that with our audience as always. Ben, thank you so much again for hopping on again, friend of the show on Crossover Commerce as always. Ben Leonard of Ecom Brokers, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you. Uh, and then again, everyone else who tuned in live or is now listening to us, uh, we appreciate you as always for tuning into Crossover Commerce. Again, this is episode 158. Lots of great tidbits on how to maximize your business. Again, keeping an ear and eye to the pulse of e-commerce and Amazon. That's kind of what I love to do with my audience and my listeners. And of course, everyone in the space, you you should always be knowledge and, uh, knowledgeable about what's going on. Uh, who should we be working with. But then also, again, it's not my place, but it's also our place to educate on practices that have best affected um, services like ours or businesses like ours. And then also, um, you know, 
help grow your business. Ultimately, the more options you have, the better. Um, but as entrepreneurs, knowing if you do want to exit, there's options available. Don't do it alone. Do it with people who have done it before, who have trusted uh, people in the space, who have helped people get more value out of their business. Of course, uh, you want to invest in those kinds of opportunities. And the biggest aspect, asset that you might ever have, why not go into our work with somebody like that? So of course, again, Crossover Commerce presented by Ping Pong Payments. Go ahead and check out more about Ping Pong below in the comment section. Thank you again, Ben Leonard of Ecom Brokers. You can check him out in the comment section. All of his social links as well as his website is in the show notes and comment section below. Check him out, reach out, tell him Crossover Commerce sent you. That being said, Crossover Commerce, again, we'll go live tomorrow. We're actually speaking with uh, Seller Sessions uh, founder himself, Danny McMillan. I'm going to go ahead and just advertise it really quickly right there. Um, he'll be on live tomorrow, uh, Friday, which is uh, Friday U.S. time. Again, we'll be talking about what to know about Amazon's A9 algorithm and kind of pick his brain a little bit about what's going on in the space from here. It's a really heavy U.K. week this week. I did not plan that, but uh, it so happened to be that way. Again, e-commerce is a globalized industry. Uh, we don't uh, we don't discriminate where you are in the world, uh, but we're going to find you if you have great knowledge and insights to tell you, the listener, about. That being said, again, this was episode 150 of Crossover Commerce. We'll catch you guys next time. Take care.